Well, first of all, I've never had a heavyweight champion boxer in my studio and on my podcast. So you're the first. Welcome, Scott. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so tell me, before we get started, tell me, is being interviewed, doing podcasts, radio, television and stuff like that, is that something that you enjoy or is it something you endure? <laughs> Yeah, probably I, I endure rather than enjoy at the moment because I'm still learning the ropes. Um, I haven't been doing it that long um, since I've been involved with the Cares. Obviously, I'm back in the limelight. I, I had my career. Um, it, it came natural then, but I think the break between kind of the few years where I just concentrated on boxing and everything, um, it kind of takes you back out. Now we're back in and... You know, here we go, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> so you are, were the British champion. Yeah. You were the European champion. Yeah. And the Commonwealth champion. For, former British Commonwealth and, and uh, WBO Intercontinental, so, yeah. That's quite a roster, so, isn't it? A success that you had as a boxer. Tell me when it started for you. How old were you when you started boxing? I was, um, uh, I'll give you a quick brief. Um, I'm the, I was a result of an affair and my father was a, boxer um, that's how it started really and then I always knew that boxing was in something to do with me I got pictures as a kid you know, about six years, six months or eight months old and I got a pair of boxing gloves on really or I'm, maybe older than that maybe 16 months or something I'm standing like that with a pair of boxing gloves so boxing's always uh, been in the photographs I've always known that, that my father was a my real father was a boxer, although I never met him till the age of 23. So, um, and then, but I always wanted, um, I started, I was always a rough kid. I was fighting all the time on, with different kids. Um, I did karate first, didn't really, um, I, I couldn't really, that wasn't physical enough. So I wanted to get more physical. And then I got taken to the boxing gym back. 12 years old, 13 years old, and then um, I got, um, had a little, wanted to, wanted to box, wanted to spar, wanted to show these people that, that, um, that I could do something. And also my father was involved in this boxing gym that I never knew, it was only three miles from where we, we lived. And um, anyway, I got to the boxing gym, was there for a few weeks, kept asking, can I spar, can I spar, to show them how strong I was. They said, like, okay, we'll get you ready. Got, got me ready, they said, look, right, I've got a bigger guy, he's bigger than you, more experienced than you, put me in the ring, and they were telling the guy to take it easy. I remember looking across the ring and thinking, take it easy. <laughs> I'm not taking it easy. Anyway, he said box, I ran across there. I think I, I dropped him and kind of like, hurt him badly in, in about 20 seconds and it was all over. He dropped to the floor and the, and the guy, the trainer, started screaming. Um, I did carry on, I think I carried on hitting him when he was down purely because I was just in the mode of fight mode and the trainer started screaming, stop, stop the spy, jumped in the ring, told me to get out, get my bag and get out of the gym in no uncertain terms. <laughs> you'll never box for this club. And uh, I remember walking out, dragging my bag, thinking, wow, that's, uh, I thought they would have liked that, you know? Um, I then never, 
I, I was then out of boxing, so I didn't box anymore till I was 16. I got sent down to uh, to Brighton to do community service and uh, ended up walking in the gym there at 16. And I now run that gym. I've been in there 35 years. So wow. Incredible. Yeah. So what was childhood like for you? Uh, was, was it a, troubled? Was it was it working class? <coughs> was it you know what, what kind of? Give us a picture. I mean, I, I had a my mum was a single parent. She was out of work. I remember. I mean, is a. I mean, I think this was across the board in the in this kind of seventies. You know, my mum was at work. We were three kids. Um, there's there's four of us in total, but my my older brother wasn't really around because he was kind of working all the time but um me and my two sisters it was then we used to barricade ourselves in because we were scared of the noises in the in the house my mum was out most of the time and uh kind of like you kind of brought up yourself i think in them days in that salubrious town of great what did they used to call it when the latchkey kids or something we called or something (laughs) back then because i was the same my mum was at work and you know you'd you'd take yourself to school and bring yourself home from school and you know we walked i think i walked a mile and a half to the school or something you know i mean that's that's it's not a lot but i mean it's 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 quite quite a bit when you're a kid isn't it so and i think we'd used to meet all the way meet all the other kids on the way and then get there turn up with about 10 of you so and were you good at school? Uh, I enjoyed school, but I, I wasn't good. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't good. At I was. A, I was. I was kind of a strong guy, um, but I, I always went against kind of the training, the different bits. If they did, I was in the football team. They asked me to come to the training. I, I used to think I didn't have to train, so I didn't bother doing the training. Got, Slung out of that. Um, cross countries, I was always kind of at the back, not trying type of thing. I didn't understand it and didn't. Cause I, I believe it's because I never had a father figure who could mould me and, and shape me and tell me you're going to do this. So everything I did was completely on my own. I mean, I remember doing the first runs for boxing when I was kind of 16, 17. I couldn't run literally half a mile, you know, and I, and I was a young, fit, strong guy, but. But running was not was not something that I could do, you know. Yeah. So, um, so I then persevered and pushed and pushed and pushed and got myself. So, I mean, I've ran I've ran the marathon de Sables, which is six. Have you run that? Six marathons in seven days. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So I did that in in uh, 05, I think. So. Yeah. So that's. Gee, man, that's <laughs> that's what crazy people do the marathon the stuff. Yeah, I know yeah, a few yeah. people that have done it. That's that. That's the toughest adventure race in the world, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Did you enjoy the experience? Absolutely. Yeah. It was incredible. Um, yeah. Yeah. I loved it. And uh, I, did it you was, lose your toenails? It was tough. It was no, no, no. I, <laughs> I, um, I'll tell you. Uh, I, I did it with my nephew, and before that, in two or three, I'd walk from Edinburgh to Brighton, and. One of the cricketers, I did it with three cricketers, and one of the cricketers gave me some foot cream um, that basically stopped you getting a blister. And then this foot cream, I um, I didn't use it one day, and I got the biggest biggest um, a blister that blew up bigger than my big toe, and I had to pop it. So that was the only day I didn't use a cream. So anyway, I didn't I, I didn't tell I, I only had a little bit of cream left, so I. I thought, well, I'm not going to tell my nephew because he's going to want to use it with me because that's who I did the disciples with. 
Anyway, he got, I think he got 21 blisters on his feet and I never got one. <laughs> and I only told him on the last, <laughs> literally the last couple of days, I said, yeah, yeah you should have used this cream. That I've got. <laughs> I showed him the cream and he was like, you, you're unbelievable. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't go there. Cheers, Uncle. Yeah. So, uh, you have this childhood, it's kind of pretty normal, I think, for... Many of us, I don't, I don't think, yeah, yeah I don't no, think any no. of us. And listen, we didn't have no money, so crime was always there. He was calling me. Um, it was, it came quite easy. The guys that I was knocking around with were all involved. Um, so, you know, you get involved in, in borrowing a couple of cars here and there and um, doing a few bits. So that's kind of where I was going. Petty crime. Petty crime, um, fighting um yeah getting in getting in trouble just petty crime really but but i got to the stage when i was 16 where um we got we got we got done for quite a few bits come up together the guy i was with got 18 months jail they said look you're gonna go to jail um so get yourself ready but you need to get some um references so i rang my sister up who just moved to brighton she she gave me a reference Said I moved to Brighton, turned over a new leaf, got a job, got new friends, never been to Brighton. <laughs> and uh, took that to the court, gave, put it in front of the court, and they sentenced me to 180 hours community service outside of Brighton. In, uh, in, in Brighton from Great Yarmouth, which was 350 miles away. So I turned up, turned up there, never been to Brighton. And, uh, but, but the court, when I went to the court, I'd actually taken a bag with the clothes because I'd accepted I was going to prison. So obviously my friend was in there. And I thought I was going in. So I was a bit disappointed that I didn't go in at the time <laughs> for some crazy reason at the time. But, but really it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it got me out of that environment, put me into a new environment in Brighton. And Brighton was, is a wonderful city as well. So, you know, that was, that was the best move I could ever make and then obviously I walked it back in the gym boxing become a big part of my life how, how did it become a big yeah. part of your life then because you've gone down you've got to do community service and there's plenty of hours doing that you find the gym did, did you well, make it like know, a conscious decision yeah I didn't know anybody so what I did I walked I, I, I knew that boxing I could do boxing from, yeah. from my experience I also knew that I was strong and, and I enjoyed a fight so so for me to to the first thing I did as soon as I arrived in Brighton thought right I don't know anyone I'm gonna find a gym found a boxing gym walked in there I mean in them days it was literally you walk in they'll kill it they'll look at you they'll say put a pair of gloves on you in the ring and literally it was a it was a um, there was three guys all bigger and stronger and better than me, more experienced, and they, they basically battered me. And I remember, walk, I've got a slope outside the gym, and I remember walking up the slope with my lips burst, my nose running with blood, and thinking to myself, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill all three of them. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> smash them to bits. But I couldn't do it then. It took me, it took me probably six, eight months, and then uh, I eventually knocked every one of them out. So um, I then, took like, the mantle in the gym of being a heavyweight and being the strongest in there. But it took me a few years. It took me a few years, uh, probably a couple of years 
before I could do that. Were you a scholar of the sport? Were you like yeah, big into learning about the craft of boxing? Yeah, I loved. I loved. I mean, I, I loved. I'm, I'm, I, I love the history. I go back to the bare knuckle era. Um, my my front room's got all the pictures of the bare knuckle fighters. Um, uh, there's a first. Um, the first black heavyweight champion come. He he won his freedom from slavery in in um, in America in kind of eighteen hundred. Yeah. Come over on a ship. He um, Tom Mullinex. He fought he fought uh, the guy in England, um, Tom Cribb, for the first ever championship of any kind, England versus America. That was eighteen oh five, just outside of Brighton. So yeah, I've done my history. I love it. And when it, when it came to learning the kind of, the, the rules of the game, you know, you, you like to fight, which meant to me you were a scrapper more than a boxer before you became a boxer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, 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 again, all I knew is that I could, or I believed I could punch. So if I can hit somebody, I can hurt them. And if I can hurt them, I can finish them. That was, but it wasn't about, Oh, I can box. I can. I mean, these guys would would play with me, and then I'd kind of hit them once, and then once I hit them, I could put them in a shell. And if I could put them in a shell, then I could beat them and overcome their their, their good boxing. Talk about talk to me about boxing coaches. Obviously, any any great person in probably any industry, particularly in sports, you know, Usain Bolt's not going to be able to break the world record over and over again without a great coach. I'm yeah, sure think, you've experienced think, them along the I, way, I th- yeah? I think being a coach, I mean, I had many coaches. Who was the best one? Um, uh, I'd, I'd say a, a guy who fought for the world title called Jimmy McDonald. He was probably my best coach. Um, I, I worked with a couple of others, uh, Francis Romano, an American who was very, very experienced and, and kind of gave me some... some uh, so they all they all did different things. So I'd, like Jimmy was a fitness trainer who was great at fitness training and made me understand that that to, you had to be fit to be the best you know so so I then ran I changed my life I ran every day I was doing um, six eight ten twelve miles a day on a Sunday I'd do a 12 mile run in the evening Sunday evening ready for the Monday so and that become just part of the norm every single week and if I missed if if for some reason I missed a Sunday run I believed it messed up my whole week for running so um, you know you lose something but but, I mean these guys the trainers I think you need to be a trainer and a mentor they're the ones that that really get it out of you it's not just being a coach anybody can be a coach you know Um, but I, I believe that you need a guy with you who mentors you as well. So it's interesting that Tyson Fury um, has just moved on from from his trainer. Mm-hmm. You know, now his trainer, I believe, again was a coach. So and and didn't really couldn't mentor him. You know, because he was the one with the experience. So so I think he's he's looking at. He knows he's got the biggest fight in his life against Deontay Wilder, very dangerous man, and I believe that that um, he's looking for something. He needs he needs someone there who he can look to and really believe that this guy understands where he is in the fight game. Is the best mentor a guy that's been in that position themselves, like been in the not, ring themselves? Well, uh, again, 
um, Mike Tyson's mentor was Customato, so he was his he was his trainer and mentor. But but he was a he was a masterful man, and I'm not even sure whether Customato boxed that much. And you know, I'm not even sure whether he did box because it's I haven't really looked into that. But what I know is that he was an old man at the time, never boxed, and he he got a hold of Mike and turned him into the greatest thing, you know, or one of the greatest things. So. Do you think that, I mean, that that's a quite a celebrated relationship, isn't it? You know, there's been various documentaries and movies made about that kind of, that, that kind of relationship those two guys had. Yeah, I mean, incredible. Um, the, the, to me, there must have been some, some magic dust, some chemistry. There must have been something about the, the two of them meeting at the time they did in whichever stage of their lives they were both at for that to really have turned into something as magical as that. Cause yeah, I mean, I, th I think Mike was in Tryon, which was, which was like a, a prison facility. And then he got introduced to Cuss and Cuss said, wow, you know, he, sh he showed him his skills and he look looked at him. And again, Cuss um, had various champions under him. Um, uh, Floyd uh, Floyd Patterson, a heavyweight champion from the from the fifties or sixties, and that him having that guy there, knowing he could manage Mike was like, oh my god, he, this guy can change my life completely, and he and he did. He made him believe that he was going to be. He told him at thirteen years old, you're going to be the heavyweight champion of the world, and and Mike has got a, a, an, a, an IQ of one sixty and a photographic memory. He's an absolutely incredible man, and I've had the pleasure of spending quite a bit of time with him as well. So, you know, so when you kind of listen to their stories and the way they tell you stuff, it's incredible. So, yeah. Hmm. So you become this boxer, so you go through, you start training, you stop as an amateur boxer, obviously. Yeah. You're, so you start to be successful and get a few wins. Yeah. When you were young, was there anyone that you came up against that kind of occupied your mind when when you're an amateur someone that is just like you, there was something about them that used to kind of possess your mind a little bit like you really wanted to really wanted to beat them or were you one of these kind of professional boxers that saw everyone saw it as a business in in, in your no, mindset I mean, for me for me i i boxed because because i absolutely loved the uh, listen the, the, there's a there's a fear and it's it's not really a fear of the other man, it's a fear of losing and like when you get in the ring you want to be the best. So for me it was it was can I can I match these guys? And I, I wasn't I wasn't a massively confident guy. But once I got hit, then I was like, Okay, here we go, let's go. You know, let's have a fight. Really? So, so yeah, once someone hit you it kinda of, it twisted it turned I had to get hit to, to fire up. Because I was watching one of the videos yesterday yeah. about you. I don't know you were fighting, and and you kept, every time you were hit by this dude, yeah. all of a sudden, then you went on the attack. Yeah. And yeah, it, and, yeah. The, and the commentator was saying, yeah, he needs to get. Yeah. Seems like he needs to be it before yeah, he wants yeah, to go yeah. for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, is know, that? It's, it's it's I mean, that that was probably was at the return with with Iabola, with yeah. James Iabola. So yeah. So me and James added quite a bit. James was a six foot nine. Um, Guy, massive puncher, knocked out kind of everyone who he hit, kind of thing. And I fought him the first time, I fought him on the 6th of May, 93, 90, 94, 6th of May, 94, in Atlantic City. And he snapped my jaw in the first round and um, knocked, knocked me out in the fifth. But I was winning every round. <laughs> I was winning every round. 
And after he, after he damaged my jaw in the first round, I thought, right, I've got a damaged jaw. I've got to stay away from him. And I then changed my tactic because I tried to fight him. He was too big. I was only 15 and a half stone. He weighed about 16, 10. And then um, he, he, he um, I tried to box him or try to fight him. And then, um, then it turned into a, he done my jaw. So then I started to box him. I then dropped him at the end of the third. My trainer said, look, stay away from him. He's going to fall apart in two or three rounds. Nobody falls apart in a boxing ring. And this guy certainly wasn't going to fall apart. Anyway, I, again, I was inexperienced. He then came out in the fifth round, slinging everything, and I was still trying to box. And he caught me on a jaw that was broke. And I closed my eyes for a split second. He then threw another right hand on top of my head, and then all the Tweety Pies were going around. <laughs> <laughs> the, st the stars was in front of my eyes, and uh, that was it. I got, I got stopped. I got knocked out and stopped. Um, I was up at kind of six or, or eight or something, but and then I snapped back in. He was jumping up and down in the corner, s screaming, and, and I'm like, what's going on with him? I said to someone, what's, what's he celebrating? He said, oh, he's just beat you, he's knocked you out. I said, no, he ain't. And, you know, I didn't even, didn't even know that I'd been down. <laughs> so the fight was over. But, um, yeah. so, who, so you probably get asked this question a lot. Do, who do you remember being the person that hits the hardest? Frank Bruno. I mean, Frank, Frank, I mean, the, again, another quick, I got, I, I got called in as a sparring partner. I actually had Frank in Brighton on a show um, just before Christmas. We had a great, great night. And uh, he's a very, very dear man and, and a great friend of mine. And uh, anyway, Frank, I was called in as a sparring partner for Frank. Um, and my friend had just warmed him up, Terry Dunstan, who was another fighter who I fought twice in the amateurs. He'd, he'd just... He was warming him up for a couple of rounds and I thought, oh, he don't look great, he don't look this, he don't look that. Maybe I can make a name for myself here and knock him out, try and knock Frank Bruno out. <laughs> anyway, I ran across the ring. I ran straight into him thinking that I was going to get him. And I didn't even see the shot. And then I've been hit round the back of the head with a shot that's exploded my head. And I, and I believe that if he wouldn't have been standing in front of me and I couldn't have grabbed hold of him, I believe I, I, I started to fall forward. Anyway, I grabbed hold of him and I knew that I'd been hit on the head with something massive. And I, I honestly, I turned him round while I was hugging him and I looked up at the ceiling because I thought a bit of concrete had fallen <laughs> from the ceiling on my head. I thought, there's no way that was a punch. <laughs> and I spun him round, looked up and thought, holy sh that, that, that was a punch, you know. But, um, yeah, a massive puncher. Um, and, again, he bashed me up the first day. I went back to my room, and I remember I was really upset going back to my room, and everyone was going out for something to eat, and they said, come on, we're going out for something to eat. I said, no, no, I'm not going out for nothing to eat. And I had to stay in the mirror and stop myself from packing my clothes. I actually packed my bag, took it down to the car, put it in the car, and then said, I'm running, I'm, I'm, I'm a failure. I can't do this. <clears throat> this guy's too good, too big, too strong. And then I took the bag back out of the car and said, I'm, I'm going to be a, um, I'm, gonna, I'm a coward, I'm going back up. So I then took the bag back up in the room, sat in front of the mirror, and, and I had to understand how this guy has has hurt me and why he's hurt me and is he better than me and is is my chin weak is this you know and all these scenarios going through my mind it took me about six hours and then I finally come up with the thing right I've got youth and speed 
that's what I've got. He hasn't got that. Let's get back in there tomorrow and see how we go tomorrow. So I then, you know, it was a lot worse than that and it was a lot deeper than that. So, um, but that's what I, what I come up with. I got back in there the next day. I used my brain. I did exactly the same. I ran at him, stopped dead. He fired off exactly the same shot. I managed to miss it. And then I jumped on him and, and give him hell. And, and he, di he actually did an interview um, just before Christmas with me. And he said, he said uh, Scott's a very dangerous man. And he, he made me do the break dance on numerous occasions. <laughs> so that was a great, uh, great words from him. Yeah. So, so he said about our sparring, that was, that was about the sparring. So yeah, I mean, Frank was, was definitely the hardest punch I've ever been hit with. Do you remember your first payday? Yeah, I do. How much did you get paid? I got I got eight eight hundred pounds, and then I think I had to give four four or six hundred away to um, to Matchroom because or, or Eddie Hearn then because I was paying a um, they they said that you have to pay in to get a pension. And I was like, I don't want to pay in to get a pension. And I remember getting my my purse thinking I shouldn't be paying a pension at kind of 23 years old, you know, so, uh, but yeah, I remember that was how much I got. And so. what was the, what was the, what was the, the most amount of money you got paid for a fight? <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got a lot of money. I earned over, um, I'm, I mean, in, in today's money, equivalent to the, today's money was about, we worked out about five or six million pound. For a fight? So, no, 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 in my career. In your career? So in my career, so, so that's... That, that but for a, for a single fight, you got 800 quid for the first one and you had to give most of it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what was yeah. The, 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 you call it the purse, don't you? What yeah, was the purse, the purse. For, for your biggest purse? The purse was, was near, near half a million. Wow. Yeah. And so, so, so when you know you're going to get half a million before you're going in the ring, yeah, does it change the way you think about it? Absolutely. I mean, that, that was life-changing money. I mean, Massive amount was, of money. It was, uh, I mean, in the 90s, you know, you, you, I mean, I, it's like, it's a really weird situation. I mean, Joshua's just had the same kind of thing. I mean, he's, he's just boxed for, for supposedly somewhere in the region of 66, I think it was something like sixty million pound. Wow! So I mean, that's a that's the kind of money that's involved in the game now. It's it's incredible. But that money that I boxed for was was life changing. I, I'd never had anywhere near that kind of money, and you know, to to kind of go into a fight. And again, it comes back to who who I had around me at the time. I didn't have. I. You know, Jimmy was a trainer, and he was a kind of a mentor, but he wasn't a mentor that I that that a good enough mentor. Um, I believe that I should have had a heavyweight with me, who understands the game, who could say, "Listen, this is what this is what." Jimmy was a lightweight, um, still still a great guy, and understood the game, but I didn't go in fully understanding of what I could do and what was possible. You know. So that was that was a kind of um, and and did I did I honestly believe deep down in my heart that I could win that fight? It was, I fought a guy called Henry Ekawandi for the heavyweight title. He was undefeated in thirty four fights, um, six foot seven, a boxer, you know, a puncher. He could move and, and Nigerian dude. Yeah, and I remember watching the video of him and actually thinking, I can't how. That
I'm not going to beat him. I can't. I can't win. But I still got my mind round the. Uh, I got my mind round it and said, right, I know I can punch. I'm going to knock him out. Um, it was a hundred years. So that was '97. In 1897, Cornish Bob Fitzsimmons won the heavyweight title. The first English guy to win the heavyweight title. So I thought, a hundred years to the year, this is my year. I'm coming, and I'm and I'm going to do it. You know, it wasn't to be. I got beat on points, twelve rounds. I, I I thought I gave a decent enough account of myself, but I always believed that I'd get him the next round. So as each round went, I mean, twelve rounds went like four rounds. And I hadn't used any of my energies up. I trained really, really well for it. You know, I was running twenty miles on on a Sunday then. Um, so I was I'd done everything possible. Um, got got in the ring, and just thought, right, next round I'm going to get him. Next round I'm going to get him. And before I knew it, it was 12 rounds had gone, and uh, I'd lost on points. So, yeah, that was a big big disappointment. So, okay. So, as all sports people, they kind of get to this place where their body starts to tell them, and the industry starts to tell them that the uh, retirement should be uh, fairly soon, or if not now. Yeah. You got you retired at thirty one. Yeah. Did, was there sadness, relief, loneliness, emptiness? What did it feel like to retire? Um, I retired because I, I believe that I again I was using my money. I'd, I'd got to the stage where I was watching these guys like the Hollyfields and the Mike Tyson's, and they had a big team around them. And I thought it was about spending the money to get a team around you because that's, that's what you have to do. And, and I, I very quickly realised that these teams were costing a lot of money. One fight, I, I spent 14000 in preparation for the fight and um, the fight got cancelled and didn't happen. So that was a waste of that money. Then, then I got another camp, and it was another because I was keeping these guys. I was paying a thousand pound a week sparring partners, bringing them in, paying for the hotels, paying for food. You know, so it, it was mounting up very quickly. And I knew that these that to be the best, you need these guys around you. I had a runner, I had a strength coach. You know, um, and again, I was I was kind of having. Um, kind of a sports therapy guy as well, helping me, mm-hmm. talking to me and kind of getting in my head. But, but um, so, so that was a, that, that was kind of a, a big thing. So when I, when I retired, yeah, and at the time, I then realized that it was more about the money that it was costing me the money. And I didn't want to put the money back into boxing. And I knew that my, after getting beaten my last fight against Julius, I'd beat Julius in a previous, um, fight, and I shouldn't have really been beat at that stage. And the next fight was Mike Tyson. They told me, but I'd been told three times that if you win this fight, Scott, you can fight Mike Tyson. It didn't come off on the two, and then the last fight was like, they told me again, you win this, you fight Mike Tyson. It was like, okay. Now the dream was to fight Mike Tyson. Whether I'd have done one round or kind of five rounds, I don't know what I would have done. But he was definitely a different, different animal. And, um, you know, but, but still, our dream is to go in with the best. You know, that's why we box. We want to fight the best. Um, yeah, so, so I retired then after that fight, losing to Julius. Julius went on and fought um, 
Mike Tyson, and he's still, he, he's now under us with the WBC Cares. He now helps me in England, Julius does with the Cares. But do I, did, did I, so, so I then went into retirement. I didn't know that there was going to be a depression or anything. And all I knew was after a few months, I was very angry. Um, couldn't put my finger on what it was. I was getting in fights on road rage fights on in the car. Um, suicidal thoughts in my head. Um, I had a 911, Porsche 911 at the time, and I was driving that at kind of 90 miles an hour. I had a road near my house that I used to say, I'm going to put myself in that, put the car through this wall. And each time I'd do it, I'd accelerate up and pull out right at the last minute and say, maybe not today, I'll do it tomorrow. But I didn't know, and I couldn't put my finger on what it was, but I didn't understand that I was in a depression. I just thought that was normal, you know, and I wasn't happy in my life, but I didn't fully understand what what, what wasn't right. I couldn't put my finger on it. And then, um, and then in 2003, so it'd been kind of three years of depression. 2003, my, my sister-in-law, um, I got a call early in the morning that my sister-in-law collapsed. I ran 10 houses up to see her. Um, <clears throat> she had uh, c collapsed and it called an ambulance. The, amb the ambulance come <clears throat> and um, as they come, they couldn't, there was two women, they couldn't pick her up, put her on the uh, trolley. So I had to pick her up, as I picked her up, put her on the trolley. She took her last breath and, and um, unfortunately died. So that kind of, for me, was a massive part of understanding what was going on in my life. It took me out of the game, completely kind of uh, made me look at my life and understand my life. And, and that was a massive turning point. From that day onwards, I said, right, um, I have to do something for charity every year. And that's when I started to do the charity stuff and which has led on to being part of the WBC Cares. So, um, yeah, so life changing. So you went through years of, of being depressed but not knowing you were depressed and then had such a terrible situation happen with your sister passing away for it to... My sister-in-law, yeah. Sister-in-law. Yeah. For it to kind of wake you up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it destroyed me at first. It was, it was very, very tough. Um, so she was a massive part of my life for kind of 17 years that I've been with my missus. So, um, and then uh, to lose her in, in them circumstances, it was a shock, it was a big shock. And, uh, and kind of, you think you're a tough guy until things like that happen, then you understand that, okay, maybe I'm not so tough. But, um, but it shaped me in the, in the way of like, it made me understand that this life is very, very important and we can do a lot in this life and we can give back. And uh, and from that day forward, I said, right, every year I'm gonna do something for charity. I've, and I did the first year, two or three, I did the Edinburgh to Tangiers Challenge with a, 
three cricketers that um, that I got got to know. Adam Hollyoke, the ex England cricketer. He um, he got me involved in it, and then and from that day, I think the next year I climbed Kilimanjaro. Next year was the Marathon de Sables, and each year we've done um, stuff. I done Peru last year. Uh, th- this year, now we're in the new year. Yeah, so we're doing the um, Prudential 100. Yeah, uh, the bike ride, or the no, no, no. Last year was we, we just done um, the uh, one of the mountains and then Machu Picchu. Okay, so yeah, I saw you went across the Peru. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, Peru. Yeah, okay, Peru, yeah. yeah, you went to Machu Picchu in Peru. This year we're doing <coughs> the, the Morocco. So over the years, are you going to Mount Tubcal? Yeah, I think we're doing the, in the Atlas Mountains. This yeah, year. Atlas yeah. Mountains. Yeah. yeah, I did it last year. Oh wow! I did Killy oh, wow. as well. So oh, wow. yeah, I'm yeah. I'm a climber. That's great. my thing. Great. Yeah. Okay, good. There's really cool things you've done. Yeah. So every year you gave yourself a challenge, and and how did you choose the charity? I just do for any. I mean, anybody that's anybody that's needy that said to me, look, can you help us? Can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? So I was always the one to say, yeah, I'll do this. So, so tell me then about because that's that's really how I got to meet you just the other day at the event. How did this 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 then <clears throat> move from you doing some stuff for charity every year to you then getting involved in the organisation you're in now? So I used to do stuff, again, one of my dear friends who's, who's also a partner in the CARES now, um, Dave Walker in England, he um, he got me involved doing stuff for the homelessness back in, in uh, kind of like 07, 08. Yeah. From them kind of stuff. Was, was asking me to do this, do that, and I've always kind of given my time for, for free. Um, I'm honoured, you know, I earn my money in boxing and I'm, I'm happy to give my time, mostly for free, you know, if I can, if I can fit it in, then I'll do back to boxing, you know. Um, so, um, so, so I've always done, I've always helped where I could help and with the homelessness and different bits and pieces, different charities all the way through, um, giving people belts um, to to doing as much as I can. And then in 2016, we had a meeting in London with Maurizio and I had some ideas for him and he said, look, Scott, you're a great guy, you've done great work for us, um, we'd like you to be the chairman. So... Um, so what, just for the benefit of everyone, what is WBC Cares? WBC Cares is the goodwill arm of the WBC, the green belt, the, the heavyweight champion at the moment, Deontay Wilder is. But for me, it was it was, it was was the belt that I I fought Ibola for in America when he broke my jaw and knocked me out. So I didn't win that belt. And then about 08, Dave said to me, look, would you... Because unfortunately, again, James got shot and killed in London in 2007. James who? James Ibola, the guy who I fought. Oh, did he? So I had two defining fights with him. um, And I beat him in the return. He beat me in the first one, then I beat him in the return. And he got shot and killed in 2007. We were very dear. We'd we'd got our... I mean, at the time, we hated each other. (laughs) When we we fought each other, we hated each other. And then we... um, we then met in London. We then said, look, let's get our families together. You know, we're part of each other's lives. Great big hug. And that was the last time I saw him. He got shot and killed a few weeks later. So we never got the families together. But um, because of James, I said, so, so when they said to me, Scott, we want to present you with a WBC belt on behalf of all the great work you're doing. And 
um, we want you to carry on this work in James's memory and different stuff. So I said, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I'd love to be involved in any way I can do, and, and that, that's how I got involved with the WBC. And then obviously, going on 2.16, I had a meeting with Maurizio. We had some ideas about pushing some stuff in the UK. The WBC Cares wasn't set up in the UK. Dave kind of Walker used to do a few bits, but but he was never it was never a, business, a company or doing great work. So I said, look, I, I've got some ideas. We can really push it. I had a meeting with Maurizio, and he said, look, look, Scott, you know, we'd like you to be the chairman. Uh, we know you kind of want to do great work, so let's see what you can do. And um, since then, we were working in knife crew. We've got, we got over 750 kids we work with in knife crime over the London and the South Coast, um, and that's growing every every week. Um, we work with the disabled disabilities, and um, we're now pushing for to get wheelchair boxing into the Invictus Games and the Olympics. So, but it's not it's a different it's not the boxing that we know. You know they're not knocking each other out. They're they're doing an exhibition of boxing and skill levels, and they get they get points for the way they move the wheelchairs and skills. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're pushing at the moment. It's uh, an incredible thing that you're involved with. Yeah. I tell, tell me about tell me about so. how it makes you feel, being part of it, the, the joy that it brings you. Well, again, it kind of goes back to, uh, it kind of goes back to, to, it gives me a purpose in life. And how I look at the WBC cares is this: I, I you know, I, I didn't win that belt with James. I failed in in that fight. I didn't win a world title. So for me, there's still a bit of fight in me that want to say, look, I can, I can achieve something, you know. Um, and and being part of the WBC and doing great work, it's a fight. I want to do great work. I want to show people that the WBC. And boxing is not just here. We don't just make champions in boxing. We make champions in life, you know, and that's what I believe we're doing now. All these kids, the guys that we saw the other day, um, the kids with special determination, these kids there, you know, if we can touch their lives and change their lives, which I believe we can for the better, then, then that's what we do. That's what I'll do. So. It was epic. It was epic watching you. Okay, it really was nice to see. Okay, on a lighter note, just before we finish, um, you got beaten up by Brad Pitt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I must. Admit, I did. <laughs> so I, I know. Ja I, I, I know Jason Statham. Yeah, so yeah. I know that you're in the movie Snatch. Yeah, um, yeah. How did that happen? I, well, funnily enough, I went to school with Jason Statham. You did know, you? And he's from Great Yarmouth. So. <laughs> So, yeah, um, well, I, I believe the way it happened is that they were looking for a heavy, a real heavyweight boxer. They'd interviewed a few of my pals, and I got a phone call to say, look, can I turn up for an interview to see, to see about a film? No one knew what film it was. No one knew who was behind it, um, Guy Ritchie or... or, or no idea, yeah. Anybody was in the film. So it was just a turn up... You know, I turned up one day, I'd been on a motorbike all day, I used to ride a 1,000cc Ducati thing and, I, and I, was at, I was in London, I was sweating, I'd gone into the, 
into the rooms. It was a similar room to this. There was a bright light camera on me. They sit and they, the girl said, I'm going to go out and get um, Guy Ritchie. Now, nobody, I, I didn't know who Guy Ritchie was. I expected a big fat guy with a big black beard. And <laughs> so I'm sitting there, in walks, a young, in walks a young kid in a pair of, like, or I think he's a young kid, we're the same age, but he's, uh, I thought he was about 20, 26 or something. He's got a white a white T-shirt on, his son turned, he's got bleached hair, he's a cool dude, sit, comes in, sits on the table similar to this opposite, sits there, starts looking at me, and I'm, I'm thinking, so she, I'm waiting for her to bring Guy Ritchie in, and he sits there, and he hasn't, I'm thirsty, he hasn't offered me a drink, he hasn't offered me anything, I'm thinking, well, she's, why hasn't he offered me a drink or anything? Anyway, he sits there, and then he says... Um, and he's just looking at me like this, staring at me. So I'm thinking, so I'm a bit paranoid. I've just retired from boxing. I'm like, what's this guy doing? He's, he's like <laughs> staring at me. So I'm kind of like sitting there thinking, and, and it's now, you know, start, it's starting to really dawn aggravate, on you. Really, no, oh. no, really aggravate me. So I'm thinking, anyway, she hasn't come back. It's a couple of minutes, and then I literally, I go like that. I'm just about to say, what are you looking at? You know, <laughs> words to that effect. And I was, and I literally went like this. As I looked up, went to look at him. You know, the doors opened, and she's. So I've, I've kind of snarled. I was just about to give it to him to say, "What are you looking at?" And it, the door opened. The girl walked in, and she went, "Oh, you've met Guy Ritchie." I went. Oh my God! Oh, no. And I just started to snarl at him, and he and he saw the look, and I went, "Oh, mate, I'm really, really sorry." He went, "I love that look," and uh, that was it. That's how I got. That was your audition. That's, that was the audition. So he said to me, "I love that look." He said, "I'll call you in a couple of days," and then he he called me um, a few days later, and then I I turned up the first day again. The first day. Um, I went to a gym called the Buddha Kwai Gym in Fulham and um, turned up at this gym and he said, oh, Brad Pitt's in there. And I said, OK, no problem. Where, where do you want me? And they, they said, did you hear what I said? So I said, yeah. He said, Brad Pitt's in there. He said, oh, you didn't react. I said, well, if you'd have told me it was Mike Tyson, I might have reacted. But, you know. <laughs> but anyway, we, we, I, met, I, met, um, I met the guys there. Absolutely fantastic. Um, didn't meet J Jason. I hadn't seen Jason since we were at school together. Um, and then, uh, but I'd followed him. He was in the he was in the Commonwealth Games in nineteen mm, in high diving, yeah. And I watched him on TV. And then he was he was a model on the clothes show. And then, and then, anyway, I got in the car. Still didn't know he was in the film. And then the first day in, we get we get um, we get in a limo. We get get picked up in the in the car and. Uh, Guy Ritchie's partner's in a, um, what's the guy's name? The guy's partner in Snatch. What? Yeah, I can't. I the mean, director, producer? Yeah, yeah, it was Guy no Matthew Vaughan. Okay. So anyway, Matthew Vaughan's in the car with me and he said, oh yeah, and he was on the phone going, oh yeah, Stath, Stath, Jason. Anyway, put the phone down and I said, who's that? He went, Stath, yeah. Jason Stath, and I said, Cause, so again, we didn't know who Jason Statham was because that was kind of like no, we we nobody had known. So I went, was he born in Great Yarmouth? He went, I think he was. I said, oh right, get him back on the phone. And that's what you spoke to. 
got him on the phone and said, uh, anyway, so, so he used to have his teeth wired up at school. So, and he was, he was called Jaws. Sometimes people would call him Jaws. So let's say, anyway, and I, I said, oh, Jaws, like that. He's like, who's that, who's that? I said, it's Scott. He's like, oh, wow, you know, I can't believe I followed your career. I said, yeah, I followed yours. And then, um, and then, yeah, we we were both in stats. So incredible story, really. That two guys from Great Yarmouth, Great yeah. Yarmouth, yeah. So with that big ugly toad of uh, Red Pitt. So, <laughs> was it fun making the movie? Absolutely brilliant fun. Yeah, you had Vinnie Jones on there, and uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of the guys, and, and we were all the same age. So it was like kind of like everyone was the same age. Um, Brad was great fun. He would he would he would want to wrestle you and mess around and. Played a few jokes, so yeah, it was it was good fun, good fun. Played chess with them all and different bits, so that was good. So. And so, when we look at your career, what, you're 52 now? Hang on, hang on. 51. 68, you were born, 51. 51, okay, 51. So, so you just, you, I'm 50 this year, so right. we're similar age to each other. So, yeah. Do you, you, you look back on the career you've got, you know, as a boxer, um, the stuff you've done in movies and then more importantly the stuff with WBC Cares you've got a lot to be proud of haven't you yeah I believe um, you know you, you, you kind of you look back and you think wow I've, I've, I've had a lot of experiences so um, yeah I believe I mean the fact that I'm still breathing is, is, is fantastic for me I thought I'd have been gone at 30 years old so the fact that I'm still here at 51 is, is pretty amazing um you know, and and I've met some incredible people and some great people. So, and I believe that I've smashed every dream I've ever dared dream. You know, so that's good. That's clear to see, Scott. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us on the show today. Superb. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>